Welcome to season three of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Daniel Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, episode 56, Meeple Party. Today, we are joined by Heather O'Neill, a co-owner of Ninth Level Games, convention manager for Unpub, and a designer of Aloha Earth, Pavlov's Dogs, Schrodinger's Cats, and other games, including this episode's spotlight, Meeple Party. Thanks for joining. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. So for anyone listening, Heather and I work on Unpub together, and so I was very excited to have her on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah. So a little bit about yourself. How did you get into game designing? That's a great question. So I kind of was tangential to the gaming industry for a while before I decided to design something and honestly never even considered designing something while I was attending shows and and just being a fan. <laughs> you know, I never even thought about it. So probably my first convention was like 2007, I think. Um, it just so happens my husband is a role-playing game designer, so he would go to the shows a lot. He would either showcase games or demo games or just go for fun. And then in 07, I was like, let me try this out. And I went to some of the shows that summer and then just had fun playing games, like demoing stuff, meeting people. So I think I went to shows for like three, four years, just kind of tangentially involved, meeting people, uh, trying games, getting into the industry a little bit like on the sidelines, right? And then I started helping out more with our business, Ninth Level Games. But again, it was very business related. It wasn't design at all. And then somewhere around like 2012, 2013, probably when I just had like more free time on my hands, I was like, you know, it'd yeah. be really cool if there was a game like X, you know, or a game like this. And I started having more of those discussions. And my husband, Chris, and myself, and our other friend, Adriel, got this idea to make a card game version of Schrodinger's cats, like the dead or alive cat in a box theory. Right. Yeah. So we just kind of like on the back end when we had free time and work on it. And uh, meanwhile, Kickstarter has come out by this point. We as a ninth level company have published a couple of RPGs at this point now. And it re we realized that we have distribution. We are a publisher. We could publish a card game, I guess. Uh, so we decide that Schrodinger's Cats is going to be the first card game we publish. So it was a, a co-design of the three of us. Um, and that is where I really got the itch to design. Like I was like, oh, I love doing this. This is fun. Um, I'm an analytical brain anyway. So I was like into the math of it, into the mechanics, into the development of it. And that just set me off. So that was probably about 2013 or 14 that we started uh, getting close to doing the Kickstarter for it. And pretty much from that point till now, <laughs> I design games all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. I remember seeing uh, your booth and on Stranger's Cats, you had like a tabletop that was like a cocktail table, but it was made out of like the cardboard. And I do yep. remember that. So that was always really cool. <laughs> yeah, we really went hard into the cardboard theme for a while for a couple of years because of the box and all that. Um, also, those things are much lighter to carry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so that was the first one. That's where I really got the itch. And, you know, looking back now, like having done panels, having really like you know, thought about this, like looking back after all these years, it's like I was probably designing games for many years before that and just didn't realize it. Like we would modify rules to games all the time. 
we would make party like when we would have a party at our house we would make games up for that party that were more interactive we would make up like achievements that you had to do we would do all these things that were very much like game design but i just didn't realize that that was a thing i was doing at all and was like oh i really like doing this so uh somewhere in between 20 let's call it 14 and 18 i started working on uh the meeple meeple party game that we're talking about which was my first solo design Okay. Um, and then for anyone who hasn't played it, would you mind explaining how it's played? Sure. Sure. So this one, it's a co-op where we are, we and all of our guests are meeples having a, at a party. We're having a party. So the board is a modular board that looks like a house, very conductor lucky looking, very clue looking. And then um, on your turn, you're going to welcome a guest out of a bag by opening the door in quotes. And um, based off what type or what color it is, it's going to have an effect So you could welcome a jerk, for example, a flirt, a cool person, a meeple, uh, a party animal, or a wallflower. And based off that, they're going to have an effect when you bring them into the party. So let's say you put a flirt in a room. They're going to pull another meeple from an adjacent room or tile, where a jerk you're going to put into a room, and someone in that room is going to run away two rooms, right? Because they don't want to be near this jerk. So the idea is you're manipulating the board state, by putting meeples into rooms to move people around um, to take photos of all the fun stuff happening. So everybody's got two photos in front of them that are a certain situation. It might say uh, two flirts out back, or it might say um, a cool and a wallflower in the kitchen or something. And there's a thematic art piece that kind of says what's going on at the party. And basically you're working together to set these situations to happen, uh, set them up to happen on your turn to take a photo of it, which is your points. And then everybody's got a disaster that you're watching out for because, you know, you don't want this party to get shut down. You don't want to have a bad time. So maybe my disaster is, you know, don't let party animals be alone in the kitchen because they're going to light stuff on fire or something. Or somebody else's might be like, don't get a noise violation. Can't have the most meeples in the outside. Oh my tile. god! No, I had my friend had one where it was like you couldn't have a green or like oh a, yeah 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 in the bathroom, and I was like, oh, that's so funny. And the illustrations, the amount of emotion you found for these meeples is so funny. Like it looks <laughs> like it's about to throw up in the toilet. I was like, wow, that's so accurate. <laughs> yeah, our artist is James Stowe, who's a web comic out from Seattle, and um, he is really quick and really um creative on his own like so we said hey it's going to be meeple they're going to be hosting a party keep it pg-13 but also make it realistic so a lot of the things that he did were his own idea you know yeah. like he would say okay i'm gonna have them you know uh holding a video game or i'm gonna have them with a solo cup and uh a ping pong paddle and a beer ball, beer, or a ping pong ball, like they're playing beer pong, but we're not saying it's beer pong, right? Um, yeah. So he kind of did a lot. He took a lot of our suggestions and went like way above our expectations on detail, which was really, really awesome. Because there's probably like 120 illustrations in that game. Yeah. yeah, we were amazed and kept coming up with our own jokes as to like why for some reason like this huge group of people didn't want to be in the dining room. And it was just <laughs> fun because like it created its own story yeah. just through those illustrations. Yeah, one of the things that I like seeing, you know, now watching it happen is there's the strategy of this puzzle happening, right? So the heavy board game people are like, yeah, this is fun. But let's say you're playing with a friend who's like, eh, like I'm having a beer. I'm just having a fun time. They could interact by the 
like you're saying, the funny pictures, making up the jokes, um, making a joke about somebody being a jerk or whatever, you know, like they're still engaged because it's co-op. Um, so I've watched groups instead of feeling like it's quarterback quarterbacking, sometimes they're just happy to like be in the group and have the fun time. And then somebody says, well, I think we should move them here. And it's like, okay, no problem. You know? So yeah. I'm sure there's always quarterbacking and co-op and of that type. And, you know, some people don't like that, but I think because the theme is not serious, um, it lends itself well to being like a casual midweight game for a group. Yeah. yeah. I know that when we played it, we had like one player who just, she came in late as we were kind of starting our like first turns and then we yeah. kind of just added her in. It took her a sec to really figure out what was going on, sure. but she still found it entertaining to just like read it and like hear the conversation without the context before we actually explained what was going on. Like she found <laughs> it very amusing, nice. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So, so that's, you know, again, when I designed it, I was thinking, sure, people are going to think these are funny, but I wasn't necessarily designing it with the idea in mind that someone would just be having a fun time just watching it listening to it or being you know kind of distracted but we found it's the kind of game where even if you're not playing you can kind of be engaging and having fun and like looking at the pictures yeah how did you think to like link up the different stereotypes with the abilities of like pushing people back into two yeah. rooms or two people in the two different rooms or two people in the same room? Yeah. How did you go through that? Well, what the whole concept actually came out of just the movement of those pieces, right? So the game started very abstract. It was one, you know, the blue piece pulls two people, the pink piece pulls one, the yellow piece pushes one, the green piece pushes two, you know, that kind of thing. It was very much like I was just working yeah. with this idea of the movement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's say there were cards, territories, tiles, whatever it was. I was like, sure, if I'm the flirt, I could pull someone in, you know, and maybe that in an abstract world could mean someone's infiltrating my my uh land maybe somebody's coming to a, uh, join my army right in the traditional like normal type of themes that you see in a lot of games yeah. and i was like i don't want this to be about war or zombie apocalypse or space or you know there's your or fantasy like all the standard sure. stuff that that already is so i was racking my brain while, while i was working with the the idea of like, what's a fun theme for this? And it just kind of hit me as I was like, I usually use when I'm working on a game, I use like a, like an eight by 10 whiteboard. And I draw a lot of the, um, if it's going to be like a board board game, I will like draw out like how the movement would work so that I can like erase it immediately and just keep working before I even make uh, any like low level cards, just because my brain's kind of all over the place. Um, so I, I kind of had drawn, drawn an area and was playing around. And then I was like, oh, my God, this kind of looks like a house. You know, that's what ended up making me think about it. I was like, oh, I just kind of was playing around with squares on a, a, a dry erase. And something hit me that it could be a house. And at the time, we were – our house was kind of like – like, I had gotten married really young. We were always, like, the house that had all the parties, like, every year. So I was like, you know what? I love throwing parties. I don't think there's a game about a house party that's not gross. That's not like too far, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was like, this could work. And then once I came up with that theme, I was like, okay, what would these movements be? So it was something like the, the flirt made complete sense. Cause I was like, Oh, you're attracting someone, you're pulling someone in or you're pushing someone out like a jerk. So those were the easy ones. 
the hardest one was probably the wallflower because yeah it, it the wallflower isn't necessarily bad yeah i feel like they're push- just like awkwardly there and then because don't really push- interact because you're pushing out it seems bad and yeah. it's like okay so the so i cut trying to come up with a character trait for that like an adjective or a type of person that that would happen to and we just decided being like oh if they're just quiet and no one realizes that they're there that's mm-hmm. why they leave so that was oh, the hardest was thinking, one like they're just so socially awkward it just it makes that, you right? unnerved in, so you leave. in the rule book i think we say it's just because they're so quiet that you know other someone leaves the room or something like that is what we say but that was the hardest one because it really was the last one we we you know that i determined like what it was going to be and through playtesting like that was the one that wasn't really quite solidified until the end but the rest of them felt right based off what we were doing in the game anyway because as soon as it became a party it was like oh it's a house party you're you know people are coming into the house oh a jerk comes in people start leaving that room makes sense uh, a, a flirt comes in people come see them or a cool person right or a party animal so it ended up being that you know it kind of worked started working its way into that theme really well once i realized that it would be a house as the board yeah no that definitely makes sense and so you're playing as roommates and yeah. they're like slightly bigger meeples than all the like party guests and stuff. And when yeah. you set up the game, every player is like grabbing a player reference sheet that essentially says like, hey, I'm the flirt. But beyond that, is there any other tie? Because it felt like mostly you get to choose where things are moving on your turn. Yeah, no, there really isn't. Um, we had in development and in final playtesting, I had gone back and forth with the playtest team like a million times about adding in specific uh, rules for the flirt jerk, whatever, special abilities. And honestly, it was so not necessary. And they were just, they felt really glommed on, right? Like they just felt like we were just making them up just to make them up. So on one hand, yeah, a lot of people like to have that. But on the other hand, it just, it didn't really change the gameplay. So we just decided to, you know, in the final production version, not to do that. And really the only time it matters is if you're playing with the other upgrades or variants. So there is um, in the game, there's a cake and a gift. And I don't know if the dog or cat is a cat and a dog evil too, but I believe it's only if you're playing with the cat or the, sorry, the cake or the gift where your actual roommate needs to go into that room. So, like, if gotcha. I'm the flirt, I need to go into the room where the gift is to, to open a gift, which is the one mechanic of the other one. And the other one is to have a piece of cake, right? So, if you go in and you have a piece of cake, you heal one stress because uh, you don't want, um, you know, because I guess you're having cake. So, even if there's chaos around you at the party, you're, like, having a fun time <laughs> is the idea. So, yeah, that was really it. And, you know, when we went into production, which was, like, late 2018, it came out in 19. Um, the idea was that there would be maybe expansions and we would add more cards and we would add maybe specific different character things at that time. Um, now looking back in hindsight, I should have just added more to the game at the beginning because, you know, one of the things, uh, this is kind of getting into publisher mode, but maybe, you know, you know, people want to hear this is, um, expansions and things barely ever sell as much as the main game. And to take all this time and effort and money to do it um, sometimes makes sense and sometimes doesn't make sense. So I'm kind of at that point where I don't know that it needs it to 
to have an expansion, even though some people are, are always asking me for it, you know, so that was kind of the game plan was we would do a small pack of extra things and that would have these other special things. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. And then so in the game, you decide to make it a co-op. Yes. What was the thought process there? It was basically necessary. And it was hilarious because at that time, like designing this in like 2014, 15, I was an anti-co-op gamer. I did not like playing co-op games. Um, it wasn't my favorite thing. I played them, but they weren't my favorite thing. And I didn't go into this with the idea of making a co-op game. Again, I went in with that puzzle idea. But it, it's literally impossible to play this game if you're if you're pushing and pulling against each other. So uh, at, early on, it was like clear it had to be a co-op or else nothing was ever going to get accomplished. So even if you had the most simplest goal, um, immediately after my turn, you would pull somebody away from yeah, me. And then I'd try to pull up. them and then they'd push them away. You know? So it just didn't make sense. And then in the, in the spirit of it being a house party, it also just made sense to make it that it's a collective effort. Um, so it was basically uh, both, cl- both theme and mechanically, it had to be a co-op to make it cohesively feel right. And work. That's so interesting. So since making this game, do you like co-ops more? I do. Like co-op games? I feel like there's more co-op games too. I feel like pre-2013, like 14, there were less co-op games. And I feel like, you know, things like Betrayal and Pandemic and some uh, more of those coming out, people liking those. And then just like so many more co-ops have come out in the last 10 years. But at the time, there weren't a lot. And the only ones I can kind of remember were, I guess, Betrayal had just come out around then. And then there was one called um, Shadows Over Camelot, where one person's like the bad person and everybody else is a team. And that's kind of how Betrayal is too. Like one yeah. person, you know? So I was it's used not like to really, it. Yeah, I know it's like co-op, but like semi-co-op. It, right, or like one, one person's not on a team, but everybody else is. Yeah, or there'd be semi-co-op where, you know, like we're all members of an adventuring party, but we can win if I, I can win if I get as much this much gold and they can win if they get this and they can win if they get that. So it was like, we're still all fighting the dragon or monster, but ultimately one of us is going to win. So I feel like the, the mindset has changed a little bit on some game designs and the, uh, there's more audience for co-op, I think, than there used to be 10 years ago. Oh, for sure. I definitely have noticed since I have been trying to get the people that live closest to me, so like my local friends into mm-hmm. gaming and co-ops have been a great way to do that because it allows me to teach them yeah. these more like gamer-like mechanics. But since it's a co-op, I get to like, handhold a little bit more and like see where they take it and they get to help each other out so like i thought it was really cool when we were playing your game a lot of times it was like i know i can't achieve my goal but like you would have the table talk of hey what's your goal what's your goal like so i can try to help set up or like move some things around to get you closer to your goal yeah i think it's a very good point about co-op especially a co-op like meeple party where all everything's face up right everything's open information so um let's say someone's on their turn struggling, it's not ruining the game by asking you for advice or can you look at my card or here's my goal, right? In some games that are co-op, there's still hidden information. Um, so the nice thing is, you know, um, you know, you can, um, you can ease people into this game really well. So, you know, I found a lot of gamer people love the, the you know, the puzzle of it, but this, kind of found its niche in that like 
mid, you know, midweight or maybe even lightweight um, introductory game where it's like you as a, as somebody who plays a lot of games, Danielle can bring this to your friends and they're having a fun time and they're interested. And now they're like, Oh, can we play that game again? Or, Oh, can we try another co-op? Cause now I know I like co-ops, right? I have found a lot of people tell me that like it's their favorite game or it's their favorite game to play with a big group or friends, you know? So it, it, it's interesting to see, but that was not my intention when I first, first came up with the puzzly idea. But as soon as it became uh, about a party and, and I really started nailing down the roles, I was like, co-op has to be that, you know? Yeah. Were there any other like developmental changes as you kept going? Um, yeah. I mean, the other thing, uh, aside from the fact that we, we played around a lot with other abilities that, that each character had, the other thing that originally, you know, we were playtesting a lot or I was playtesting a lot of was the amount of stress that people take or the, the consequences of bad things happening. Right. So in general, in the very beginning, uh, when I got to that point where I said, okay, you win if you get this many goals, but you lose if you get this much, you know, damage or stress or whatever I was calling it at the time. So originally there was like one large track, kind of like a, maybe like how Forbidden Island is or something where like, as things get worse and worse and worse, you know, it, it hurts everybody or terraforming Mars, I think has that. So basically it's, it was one big track. So let's say I, a disaster goes off on my turn. It doesn't, it's not a stress on me. It's a stress on the group. And then another one and another one. And it kind of just felt like, again, with the fact that there weren't a powers, specific special powers for me and other things, it just felt even more like you had less autonomy, you know, on your turn. There was even a time where it was like a, a there was a ton of photos out, not just in front of me. And that I found did not work either. So there was like sometimes at the co-op, I went too far co-op where it was like, we're all sharing one thing. We're all doing one thing that was too far co-op. And I had said, okay, no, it's got to be, these are my particular photos and disaster. I take stress, you know, if I mess up or, or I take on a thing, um, I make the decisions on my turn, you know, and it's again, as long as people are actually following the rules and not being jerks <laughs> and not uh, quarterbacking, uh, it works out great to allow the person when they need to ask for help to do so or to make the decision on their own. Right. But yeah, those were things that I changed a couple of times was, you know, the number of stress of when you lose, how the stress looks on the the board, collective stress versus individual stress. And then, um, even the the photos I had like one big group of photos where maybe there were like five or six available and anybody could grab them at any point. Um, again, it just, it just didn't feel structured enough in that case. So definitely makes sense. And how did you come up with like kind of your time clock situation? Um, yeah, that again was another thing that, uh, we ran into when we would play to, um, a certain number of turns or we would play, you know, we're developing it. Is it going to be after 12 turns, you know, after the bag's empty, after this happens, you know, how's the game going to end, right? Is it going to be, you just lose or you win and how do you win? Right. So when we were doing that, it was, uh, you know, I got suggestions that were like, it should just be when the bag ends. Well, that's great. Except for that bag might take forever to end. Right. Cause there's things that happen that will say, you know, I don't know, the fire department shows up, get rid of four pe four meeple and then they go back in the bag. It's like, um, 
These yeah, can never or you end. have now, the you white take ones them out. that you always put back in. Yeah, and we could also have said, you know, at that time we, we I played with it where I was like, okay, what if I just never put them back in the bag and they're out? What if they go? You know, there was a lot of things that I played around with, but ultimately, it could be either uh, go on way too long, or if somebody's a real math, you know, real um, power gamer, they could have messed with that. And had it be that the game won't end until they win, you know, or something like that. So there was just all these, um, these issues with it, with the game end being that the bag ran out. Um, so then it was like, okay, clearly we want them to get photos, but if, if it's, uh, like Hanabi scoring or something where it's like, you got eight photos. Good job. You got 12 photos, even better. You know, you got 20 photos. You're amazing. And we were like, you know, um, that seems too arbitrary. So what we ended up doing was during playtesting, uh, the at, we just took all of the numbers that were like, okay, what is the average number of photos that people take, you know, in a given hour? Let's say they're playing for an hour. Yeah. How many photos do they take in an hour? Okay. It's usually like 15 or 15 to 20. Okay. What are they usually, you know, if we let the whole bag run out and they just keep playing for forever, like how long, how many photos do they take? Right. And it's like, maybe it's 30 or something like that at max. So it was like, okay, this is clearly going to be somewhere between 10 and 30. And then partly as we were getting closer to the final development, final art, final marketing of the game, what house is going to be positioned in the market? It was like, oh, it is going to be lighter weight than I originally planned. It's going to appeal to people that don't want to play a game for two hours, right? So it it started making me say, how could we do this um, and not have the game take two hours? Right. And part all that playtesting feedback of those numbers was where we were we were like, okay, well, if we say 12 as level one in the short party, like there's no way that's gonna take you more than 45 minutes, even if you're playing with all five people, even if everybody's taking forever to make their decisions, like you should be able to get 12 photos pretty easy. 18 is the next level, right? Where it's like 18 was like right in the middle of our hour time slot from all of our playtesting. So 18, again, the longer you play, uh, the more chance disasters can happen. Just a little bit, a little bit more there. And then I think it was 20, I think it's 24 is the final, is the high end of winning. And again, it's not that you're not going to get 24 probably. It's that, are you going to stress out and lose before you get 24? So that was the the way we went into it. Uh, The final production rules were partly because I didn't want the game to go on too long. I was really thinking about the type of person who's going to pick this game wants to play for 45 minutes of an hour and a half. They don't want to play longer than that, you know? No, for sure. I think those are all really important because a lot of times you think you have a great game that you would want to play for longer. Or I know I've designed a game that I was like, this is lightweight, but then the publisher tried to make it heavier. And I'm like, why? Why do that to a game that knows what it's want, like it wants to be? Yeah, yeah. And it is hard if you're designing and you're not also the publisher, like in my case, like I'm thinking about that a lot, you know, like that's part of what I'm thinking about where, you know, you're going in, like you said, in your idea, you had your idea for the game and then the publisher's changing it maybe too much to the fact that it's like anti what you were, you're going for. You know, in this case, I had the autonomy at the end when it was the final development to say like, okay, this is the art direction I want. This is kind of like the time frame I want. This is how many people I wanted to play, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I had a lot more of that 
say because I'm also a co-owner of the company, you know? Um, yeah. So it's very different. But it's still good when you're designing and you're going to be pitching a game to think of these things, right? Like if you're making a game that has a theme like Meeple Party, you might not want to make that game take three hours, right? You ha- You might not want to make that game uh so cutthroat that uh and and competitive that someone who's just jumping in for one night would even would have any fun at all right so i think sometimes tying that tying the mechanics to the theme not like so perfectly but just enough to make sure that like the person who's going to like this theme would be willing to play with these mechanics you know Oh, for sure. And since you are also the publisher, how do you figure out like which of your game ideas are worth taking to the printer? I mean, yeah, it's a really good question. Like, so, uh, of course, at that time, between 2014 and 19, those five years, we did a bunch of games, uh, smaller card game type things. This was the first bigger box uh, that the ninth level decided to do. And of the games, only one was somebody else's design. The rest were all our in-house team that were making them. And, you know, from 2019-ish on, you know, I have designs that I was working on. Didn't help that COVID hit in 2020. And I was like, you know, let's just see what happens before I do a giant board game and, you know, maybe... Nobody wants to play games anymore. Well, I was wrong because in 2020, everybody wants to play games. Yeah. And I think there's way more people that want to play games, right? But I ended up, um, you know, what we do is now is I have all these designs and I'll pitch some to other people that I just don't think fit our line or that I think are way too ambitious to make for as a small publisher. Um, if the components are going to need to be, you know, maybe plastic injection molded or like I think it would be better with this production value or or it's just not even a theme that my company would make, would make sense to make those are the games that I pitch to other people whereas I have games that I think work well for us and the idea is okay when can I fit them in in our production schedule and how far along are they so like I have a co-design with somebody right now that's like we're getting the prototypes we're getting ready for the reviews Hopefully that goes to a crowdfund later this year. So that would be like the next one that ninth level is going to make. But in between 2019 and now, there's a bunch of games that I've worked on that I'm just like, I know they're not right for my company, but I'm still working on them and they're going to go hopefully to other people. (laughs) And I know ninth level has done a lot of RPGs and stuff. So I'm guessing you have to kind of balance out when do we do a board game? When do we do a card game? When do we do an RPG? And how does that look in our schedule? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So it's, so I'm thinking, I'm personally thinking of a lot more than just, it's a good design. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I'm like, this is awesome, but it's just not feasible money wise. It's just not um, fitting our theme. It doesn't, we don't have time in our schedule because we're booked up, you know, because we already know our, our, all our releases for the next year or whatever. So, um, so it's nice to have the outlet that I know I can go to someone else, you know, and doesn't mean it's going to get signed, but, um, it gives me like that, um, drive to continue to, to do the designs, um, which I'm of the team of ninth level. I'm definitely the board game designer person and the most, yeah. not that we don't all play board games, but I'm probably the most board game uh, focused of the group. Okay. And, um, even though I've worked on role-playing games and, and designed some with teams, that's definitely like my secondary thing. My first is board games. So I've been continuing to do that for the last couple of years. Um, like I know a weird giraffe got one coming out that I did um, 
I think it's crowdfunding in March that's finally coming out. And then like Aloha Earth will be coming out whenever um, from Gravitation Games. So it's like we've got I've got some that have already been signed in the last couple of years. But then there's even more that I continue to work on. It's just the time now that like the world's opened up. <laughs> yeah. 2020 was like not great, but at least I had like a whole weekend to work on a game. It's like now, nope, <laughs> that's not happening. No, you're busy. Uh, you have plans. You have people to see, exactly. places to be, conventions yeah. to go to and plan. Yeah, exactly. So funny. And so for then like Meeple Party, how long mm-hmm. do you think it went from the inspiration of like playing around with those actions to it getting published and in people's hands to play. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole thing was probably about three, close to three years from like idea to like it's in retail release. Um, I believe it was summer of 2016 is when I started showing it to people. If I remember correctly. And we kickstarted it in 2018 and then it came out in summer of 2019. So it's basically around three years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. And again, nine nine months at least for you know delivery and you know final layout and yeah. shipping and delivery. So almost a year of that is after the Kickstarter. It was solid, I would say, in like almost two years, two and a half years. It really wasn't bad, but it was for me a lot longer process than any of the games beforehand because they were smaller card game type things that um, you know once we had that mechanic, we were like, okay, done. Now we're just coming up with, you know, a couple little tweaks on it where this one, because the number of uh, photo opportunities that's in the game for goals had to make, at least make sense, have to have a lot of different disasters, have to um, play test it a lot to make sure that it's not completely broken or completely way too easy, you know, or completely way too hard. <laughs> so the play testing portion of this was like a good year, I would say. Like oh, while I was tweaking the final... Yeah, the final bits. No, because so. I know like even some of them, it's like your goal could go against you taking yeah. uh, stress because like we definitely ran into one of that before. We're just like, screw it. We're just going to do it. We're going to take the stress. We're just going to do it because it's like this person is so set up. They have like all the party goers out on they the have patio. To do it. Yep. And it's like, we just have to do it. We're making that choice as a group. Right. And that's part of the thing where through playtesting, it's like, it's okay if it's going to contradict and you're going to take a stress, as long as by you taking a stress, it doesn't completely ruin your chances of winning this game, right? It can't be like, oh, I do this and now we lost and the whole game's a waste, right? And that was the hard part of like, testing that out, obviously, (laughs) was, you know, we had gotten to that point where it's like, oh, it was fun to sit around and make all of the character, you know, uh, or sorry, all of the photo image ideas and stuff. And then it's like, okay, well, now... Uh, we got to play test this for a long time and try all these different combinations to be like, will this work with this? Does this work with that? You know? Oh, for sure. No, I know the like surprise guests, the white meeple, when that get pulled, got pulled out and then we ended up getting something where we switched our disaster cards because all yeah. of us were so good at avoiding our current disasters. And then we got new ones and somehow we all got like new ones that involved the same. I think it was the jerk. And so we're like, wow, jerks are just like epic fails at our party and are just going to screw us in so many different ways. And so all <laughs> of us are just like hating on that the color jerk. of meeple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And that surprise guest element was uh, basically it's like an event card would be right. But when you draw a white meeple out of the bag, instead of welcoming one of those characters, you're welcoming uh, a random person that you draw a card from. And basically what it is, is an event. It might say the daredevil's here, you know, send six people outside or the, uh, 
the landlord show up, make, you know, put all the roommates at the door, something like that, just to mess with your plans a little bit without it. Um, you know, because it, because you have in quotes, perfect information, everything's out. You can talk through it. That, that element added that little bit of like chaos that was needed to have us some problem to solve as a group. Right. No, I like the chaos. It was funny. Yeah. It's very cute. So then in the design, not so much from the publishing side, but from the designer yeah. side, what would you say was your favorite and your least favorite experience in creating Meeple Party? I mean, my favorite by far was coming up with the photo opportunity images and ideas. Um, super fun. We were able to think of like, you know, I was able to be like, oh, I'm going to do something that's like a meme or like a photo thing. Like I did like a breakfast club one. But then it's like, oh, I'm also going to do this funny instance that people are high-fiving or play, doing karaoke or whatever it was. It was really fun to kind of be able to be really creative with that part after like so much time of like mechanically being invested. Um, so that was really cool to like marry the idea of those photos with things that make sense in the game. I would say my least favorite part was probably the like the final three to six months of development because it was starting to get very frustrating with you know, where I knew I had to, I was feeling like I didn't have to, but I, fe- I was feeling the pressure of like finishing the game in quotes and I would have a good play test. And then at the very end, something, something would come up and be like, Oh, nope. And then the next play test, make that tweak or whatever, a, a different thing would come up. Um, or someone would point out something that needed to be changed. So it was probably those like last three to six months um, were just like constant revisions, like small revisions and stuff, minor stuff in the rule book, minor stuff on the cards. It was very tedious, I would say. (laughs) And I was kind of like, I'm sure this happens to a lot of people, but like I was so in the game for so long that I think it was just like I was ready to be done with it, but I couldn't be. So that was still stressful. Oh, yeah. No, I have moments where sometimes I'm like, I like designing my game and then almost giving it to someone else for development or like kind of splitting the development with someone because otherwise you can definitely OD on your own design. Yeah, and I had, yeah, I had, yeah, I had helpers. Like I had obviously my ninth level team. I had a group of people who were like into the game that were my like playtesting team. I had a few different people, but like there was a kind of a group of like a few different groups that would get together. So it wasn't just me alone, luckily, like getting random people to play it. But at the same time, it was, um, ultimately me trying to solve the problem of oh well we ran into this issue here you go figure it out you know so um and again it was fun i at the end of it i like was happy that i how it came out and i was happy with what it did but in the moment it was definitely um getting getting very stressful Oh, for sure. And then if you could offer a piece of advice to designers, what would that be? And you can put on the publisher hat. You could do the um, combo. I'm actually going to go think. with the designer hat a little bit here because okay. it's reminding me from that time period, which was if you're feeling the pressure, like you've been working on this game a long time and you've shown it off and you know, you're making a plan to start pitching it or kickstart it yourself or whatever, and you, you see that on the horizon don't feel the pressure that you have to like rush to get it done. Like maybe you need to take two weeks away from it and that's okay. Cause I think that was part of like, I was feeling a pressure that I put on myself that I was like, it's getting close to two and a half year. I need to like be done with this. Right. And I just, um, I put a lot of pressure on myself and I think, you know, I needed to probably take a couple more steps back during that time instead of like focusing in on it so much for uh, three to six months. So that would be my, that would be my, uh, guess uh, or my advice would be hey 
take a step back every once in a while. You don't have to work on it every weekend. Games take a while to come out, so the matter of a couple of weeks is not not a problem. I would definitely agree with that. Especially because it's not going to help you if you like hit a wall and you're just banging no. into the wall. And then if you get so frustrated or upset about it, then you might actively like be like, I'm not pitching this game. I'm done with this game. Like you might get yourself too far to you've convinced yourself it's not a good game. And that's probably not true. But you're just so in the weeds with it that you need to like take a step back. Yeah, 100%. And so I know you mentioned a few projects. You mentioned like Aloha Earth, you mentioned Mm -hmm. a game with Weird Giraffe. Are there any other projects that like your fans should be looking out for either from ninth level or from you yourself? Um, So so yeah, the weird little uh, the weird um, giraffe game is uh, called Dreams of Tomorrow. Um, So there was a game that they already did called Dreams of Yesterday or Dreams of Yesterday. It's called sorry. It's based off Dreams of Tomorrow. Um, So that'll be coming crowdfunding in March. And then the ninth level board game that's coming out is a co-design with Nat Levine, who did um, New Bedford. And it's called Iceberg, spelled like Pittsburgh at the end. And it's about a town built on icebergs that shift around. And you're it's a co- another co-op. <laughs> now I'm a co-op designer. <laughs> it's another so co-op where, um, where uh, you are working to improve a town uh, and like get all of the upgrades done before like the big winter storm and all these, like all the ice, you know, takes over and you can't get your shelters um, together. Awesome. All right. Well then for my last question, I'd like to know if you could be the designer of any game that you didn't design, which one would you choose? And I know I've mentioned this on a panel before. This has come a couple years ago. I think I forget what company made it, but I think it might've been Steve Jackson games. Like one of my favorite or my favorite eighties movie is Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. And I would have liked to have made that board. <laughs> that is that would have been like my favorite game to work on i have no idea what that one is want to give yeah, a quick it came out brief. a few years ago uh it's an a, a, do you know the movie mm, bill and ted's excellent adventure don't think okay. i do it's from like 1988 <laughs> originally i think okay um, and then they had like an early 90s second movie um it's very dumb um but it's really really funny and uh one of the ones that i really like just like gravitated towards as a kid so that was the one that I was like, oh, that licensed game property would be like really cool to work on. Very cool. I like it. It's way more original than Monopoly. So <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, then uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, episode 56, Meeple Party. And thanks again, Heather, for joining us. For anyone trying to find you online, where can you be reached? Sure. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so Ninth Level Games is at Ninth Level games with a number nine in front uh, on twitter facebook instagram um i think it's just at ninth level on tiktok and then uh, my personal twitter is at cat physicist and that's like my personal stuff i love that for you and then i'm your host danielle reynolds if you're looking to find me on social media you can find me on instagram and twitter under the username token gamer and that's spelled g-a-y-m-e-r because i think i'm funny um but (laughs) thanks thanks heather it's awesome chatting yeah you too thanks thank you for joining danielle for another episode of game design unboxed inspiration to publication if you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts check out nodirectionpodcast.com join us next time